uh, the beautiful chaos that was last week, we made some announcements that we think may have been confusing a bit. We made some announcements, and I want to come back and revisit and clarify. Uh, we, it's important as we are kind of coming out of the summer and getting ready to move into the fall, a couple of things for our children and Grace Kids that we want to share with you all. Uh, first of all, uh, Grace Kids, we're going to be opening two additional classes. Um, we will continue to offer for all of our littles during the service as we always have. That's not going to change. Um, however, because of just some growth and the rise in the number of little ones, we're going to open up a nursery for six weeks and older. That's six weeks up to age two. So that will be opening up uh, in August. I think it's August. Um, don't have the date here. Um, July 30th. When in doubt, read, huh? Like I said, I'm holding something in my hand. <laughs> Trust nothing that comes out of my mouth, okay? Um, and this is for babies six weeks and older up to age two. And this is just going to be a fun place to serve, to just holding our little ones, uh, playtime with toddlers while watching the live stream of the service. It'll be live stream for all who serve. And uh, we will continue to offer a class for three-year-olds through kindergarten, so that's not changing. Um, the new thing we're offering beginning August 13th, we are opening a children's church option uh, for any child in first to fifth grade. A lot of this is coming back from feedback from you. As we kind of made this transition last year with what we're doing and families in the service, many of you have shared that you would like to have a children's church option. And so kids uh, first grade through fifth grade will begin, they'll join us for worship, they'll be dismissed to attend children's church upstairs, and they will remain upstairs. So parents, uh, just to clear up some confusion, they will remain upstairs, and after children's church, they will then be moved into their small groups for the second hour. And so that'll be pretty seamless, and just so that you're aware of it. And it will be open every Sunday except for the first Sunday of the month. First Sunday when we have the Lord's Table and lunch on the lawn, we don't provide any of those, those types of programs. We're all together. We'll maintain our rhythm of, of worshiping and participating as a family. But what I would like to say, what I'd like to add, we've got some wonderfully faithful people who are working hard to provide a, a wide variety of, of op opportunities and options for our children, but we need you. You know, we are, our, our staff's role is to equip and empower us to be doing the work of ministry. And so when we talk about all of the programmings that we offer for children, for our littles, for nursery, for our students, it, we rely upon you. And so I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider getting involved someplace. This is it's a great place to develop relationships with people who are serving. Um, it's, it's how we are investing in the next generation um, that is, that's, has an impact far beyond these walls. So I encourage you to prayerfully consider that as we look to the fall, we, we need you. And of course, and we'll just continue to trust God for, for providing for us. With that, let me have a word of prayer, and we'll transition to Psalm 63. Father, as we now kind of turn the corner and spend some time in the Word this morning, uh, may your presence be with us, and we, we look to you just to provide for us and, and teach us, and we, we invite your Spirit to be a, a very open, very available to all we're doing, in Jesus' name, amen getting me set up here. 
Got to get closer to it, right? Can you all hear me? Okay. We've been talking this summer uh, about what I, what I have referred to as soul care. And for some of you, that, that language of soul care might be unfamiliar. And so as we kind of jump into these last couple of uh, studies, what is soul care? When we talk about soul care, what, it is, what is it we're talking about? Soul care is, is paying attention to the ways that God is present with us, within us, and around us. It's noticing. Soul care is noticing the ways that God is shaping us, forming us every day. It's noticing the influences that can also disorient us away from God. It's, it's the, the art or the skill or the practice of paying attention. And we've been looking to the Psalms. And what we've been noticing, um, if you've been with us over these weeks, are some of the things that threaten our soul. Uh, for example, how do we learn to wait well when God seems absent? And we're not, we're not seeing God's presence as clearly as we, as we would like. Or how do we remain peaceful, uh, less anxious about everything taking place in our world today? How do we cultivate contentment in a culture that is wildly discontent? And how do we remain confident in the face of adversity? Now, why, why is soul care... Why is soul care important for us as a family? You see, what God most desires with us is a relationship. Sharing our lives together with him, interacting with him around the everyday experiences that enter our lives and stir responses in us. Every day, every day you and I, things are entering our lives from every direction and they stir things in it, in us. sometimes pleasant things and unpleasant things, sometimes uh, times of celebration, times of grieving. It's all around us. And these things become either the stuff of joy, peacefulness, confidence, courage, and resilience, or they steal these very things from our soul. And so this is a, an important part of our practice. And the summer is just a great time for us to pause, slow down, and notice. And hopefully what it does is it encourages all of us. Uh, this is not just a summer rhythm. It's the way we do life. Noticing God's presence in us, around us, within us. Well, this morning, I want to reflect on another threat to our soul. And as is the case with all of these other threats, there's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced this and doesn't experience this. In a word, it's uncertainty. You see, uncertainty can cause us to feel stressed, anxious, and powerless over the circumstances that are affecting our lives. Uh, things that we, we, we look out at and we, we don't see uh, a clear resolution to those things. Um, uncertainty uh, drains us emotionally and traps us in a downward spiral of what-ifs and worst-case scenarios about what tomorrow may bring. Uh, 
some of you know that in the past couple of years, I have become a, a student of the relationship between all that we're learning about neuroscience, neurobiology, the brain, and the spiritual journey. And all that's taking place in our world today is, is unlocking some things. Uh, I read an article recently called The Uncertain Mind, How the Brain Handles the Unknown. And uh, Anne Lerre LeCompf, and here's what she, what she wrote. In fact, fear of the unknown has been theorized to be one fear to rule them all. The fear that gives rise to all other fears. Unknown, unfamiliar spaces make us uncomfortable. We feel uncertain about, or when we feel uncertain about the future, doubt takes over our mind, making it difficult to think about anything else. Our mind is scattered and distracted, and we feel like we're all over the place. This is the real thing, isn't it? Because all of us, all of us, have things in our lives as we look to the future that we are uncertain about, that we lack certainty over. Well, David never used the word uncertainty. But his psalms spoke into it, and Psalm 63 is a beautiful example of how you and I can uh, notice our soul in times of uncertainty. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 63. But I'm going to pause and take a few moments to give some of the background because understanding the story behind the psalm this week will just cause it to just jump off the page. And it'll bring it to life in a really phenomenal way. If you look at your Bible, it begins by saying a psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. It's the superscript of the psalm. There's quite a few wilderness experiences for David. Um, uh, most scholars understand this to be uh, during a time when late in his rule as king, David's son Absalom um, attempted a coup. And that story is told in, in 2 Samuel 15 through 17, and you can go back and read it, take a look at it yourself. But let me summarize some things. David's family, with, with all of the greatness and godliness of who David was, David's family had been a hot mess. And the residual of a badly broken family system left one of his sons, Absalom, angry and resentful at his father, David. And Absalom spent a lot of his young adult life fantasizing over the ways that he would pay his father back. In time, Absalom leveraged his status as David's son to win the loyalties of people with a very intentional plan to embarrass his father as king. He knew that, that nothing, nothing would hurt his father more deeply. And as you read the story, it worked. A growing number of people were ready to reject David and declare Absalom king. And this is where the story gets surprising. When David learned about the conspiracy, surprisingly, he fled. He fled. Now, David 
David was a powerful king, and he could have squashed his son and this coup in a moment. But David wasn't that kind of leader. He held, he held his position as king as God's gift. And if it was God's intent and God's timing that his reign as king come to an end, David would let it go. Just a, a referral to something. One of, my, one of the books that's in my top ten books that I come to over and over again is called The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. Where, where, where he contrasts the heart of Saul and the heart of David in, in a profound way. But David's heart was displayed in the early days of his leaving. And we began to get some insight into this man. You see, the priests, when they left, when they suddenly left, they took the ark of God with them. And, and the ark was the visible expression of God's presence. And when, when David realized that the priests had taken the ark, he instructed them to return it to its place. And this is what he said in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. Then the king instructed Zadok, the priest, to take the ark of God back into the city. And notice this, this language here. If the Lord sees fit, David said, he will bring me back to see the ark and the tabernacle again. But if he is through with me, then let him do what seems best to him. It's a stunning statement. Um, now, I want to make an observation, kind of step out of the story for a moment, uh, about a kingdom perspective. We've talked a lot about kingdom living here in, in recent months and years. Um, here's an observation, and we see it in such crystal clarity with David right now. When we choose to live securely under the reign and presence of God, our lives take on a compelling but mysterious quality because God's principles and God's presence are, are being expressed in who we are and, and how we live. But here's what I want you to notice. But our actions... Like, like David's in this moment, while sometimes they prompt gratitude and respect, other times they will prompt perplexity when we act in ways that no one fully understands. And even though there was a, a large group of people who were loyal to David, who were following him, they were watching what he was doing, they were perplexed. David. They, they could not understand what David was doing. They, they, they were unable to see and look at the circumstances the way David was looking at them. Probably deepened their respect? Likely so. Just as likely it deepened their perplexity as to what was motivating these, these, these behaviors. Well, let's go back into the story. Enormous uncertainty to say the least, surrounded David and all that was happening. And yet he resisted doing anything self-protective. You, you do not see any self-protective gestures on David's part. Now, to be clear, this moment, uh, David was a human being. Uh, he, he, this soul wrecked his soul. Uh, we, we see that again in 2 Samuel 15. 
verse 30, David walked up the road to the Mount of Olives, and he was weeping as he went. It, it wrecked him. His head was covered, and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. So, so as, as noble and as kingdom-centric as David's behavior and choices were, the moment, the emotions of the moment were redeemed. And, and he was feeling just a sense of confusion and loss over all that God was doing. And to compound the uncertainty, David also had to endure hurtful humiliation. Some of you remember the story as they were walking out of the town, a, a man by the name of Shimei stood cursing and throwing stones. Get out of here, you murderer. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you're tasting some of your own medicine because you are a murderer. Again, the, those around David wanted to kill Shimei, and, and David said, leave him alone. David's son Absalom would, would publicly humiliate his father in a wildly inappropriate public display with David's concubines. And in the end, Absalom would authorize an army, a full army, to find David to kill him. So, what was David's reality when he wrote Psalm 63? Today we would use words like vulnerable, unsafe, and our word for the morning, uncertain. You see, God's intent for David, his future, and God's desire for him were unknown to David. He had no idea what God was doing. And yet, in the middle of this season, this, this profound time of uncertainty, David wrote Psalm 63. As I envision it, maybe one morning, sitting in the wilderness with a journal as he reflected on his inside world and all that was stirring. And I want you to see what comes out of him. Now, before we dive into the psalm, and we'll move quickly through the psalm, I want to pause for a soul care moment. Where in your life do you feel uncertain as you think about your future today? Where do you feel uncertain about something in your future? Maybe it's an important relationship. A relationship that's taking a different turn for the worse. Maybe it's your job or career path. I read an interesting thing about uncertainty this morning. Uh, research shows that people who have uncertainty, they may have a job, but their uncertainty about the future of their job experience more stress than someone who actually loses their job. Maybe it's a job, uncertainty about your job. Maybe it's uncertainty about your ministry and the future of your ministry. 
Maybe it's your financial stability. Maybe it's your health or the health of someone you love. And take a moment, and I just want you just privately, quietly to name any places in your life this morning where you feel vulnerable, unsafe, maybe out of control and helpless. And what I want to invite you to do as we walk through this psalm, I want you to bring your personal uncertainty with you into the psalm and invite it to speak into and shape your uncertainty. With that said, let's dive into the psalm. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. And these, these are not the words of a, of a distant stranger, but, but of an intimate friend who declares with confidence, God, you are my God. Uh, Old Testament scholar uh, Derek Kidner says, the simplicity and boldness of this phrase is the secret to everything that follows. You see, what, what's taking place here, surrounded by uncertainty, David leans into his relationship with God. When everything else was uncertain, there was something that was very certain. And he leaned into his relationship with God, and, and he described his desperate need for God. I earnestly search for you. Oh, God, I, I'm earnestly searching for you. And you just hear the, the, the weightiness of the words in a good sense. And the Hebrew, the Hebrew could just as easily be translated, early I search for you. By all accounts, David would regularly seek God as, as his day began. And Old Testament scholars historically labeled Psalm 30, 63 as a morning psalm. It was the way to begin a day. And, and there's great value in beginning our day with God. Looking for the perspective and the peace we need to engage our days and, and coming out of a kind of the grace-oriented background that we have in our, in our tradition, we sometimes have an aversion to things like this. But I would suggest that such a practice, a daily morning with God, is, is not a rigid ritual, but a life-sustaining priority. It orients and, and orders our soul as we enter our day. It's, it's not a luxury, but a lifeline. Now David goes on, my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. David was feeling something just within his body and his bones in his parched and weary land where there is no water. Just a deep desire for God. His whole being, his whole body longed for God. And, and he was out in the rugged wilderness and it provided David a, an experiential metaphor for the emptiness of looking to our circumstances to provide certainty. And, and he looked around him and, and he realized that wherever he turns and what he looks towards, is it, it's parched, it's weary, it's dry. And we get great insight into our soul here. You see, deep in the soul of every human being is an ache. Not all would acknowledge that. I'm currently reading 
a book by, by Strayan Coleman called Beholding. I'm about a third of my way into it, and normally I don't like to recommend books until I've read them fully, in case there are surprises. But a third of my way into it, I would say this is a must-read for everybody. And, and the author is talking about just this, this deep longing for God, and, and here's what he writes. No one is without this divine ache, whether they realize it or not. Humanity was built to be dependent upon the operating system of divine communion. And when the world becomes louder and more vitriolic, the ache for that communion only increases. God isn't merely a good idea or a meal ticket to an eternal banquet. He is the very essence and origin of pleasure, goodness, excitement, adventure, joy, beauty, and wonder. Not just because we find those things in what God gives us, but because we find those things in God himself. He is absolute perfection and unimaginably satisfying goodness. And being with him is rest and hydration and freedom. We were created to feel God in our bones like this. And to live in the wide-eyed wonder of a life caught up and surrounded by him. And if the longing for the soul's deep thirst to be satisfied, then theology and cultural analysis and ministry or revived church community, nothing is enough. We need God himself. We need to discover how to know him. See, that's where, where David is. Just this longing in the midst of all, just the, his world had unraveled and what he's asking for is not a solution. He's asking for God. The deepest longing of his soul. Well, let's keep moving through the psalm. As David continues, he remembered times when he had tasted and experienced God's power and glory and worship. Verse 2, I, I have seen you in your sanctuary. He had memories of times. He's gazed upon your power and glory. And the memory infused hope and resilience during this time and, and season of uncertainty. See, and that's, that's part of the value of, of our worship. It, it plays a vital role of soul care in our lives. When we gather and we sing and we pray and we read and we study, we're, we're reminding ourselves of who God is and it's calibrating and recalibrating us as we step into our weeks. And in the memory of those times when, when he had experienced just the, the overwhelming presence of God, it lifted David to a place of extravagant gratitude. Verse 3, your unfailing love is better than life itself. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. 
God's unfailing love better than life itself. Nothing in this life can compare to God's hesed, his faithful goodness and generosity to us. I'll, I'll praise you as long as I live, and I'm going to lift up my hands to you. And just as his whole body longed for God, his whole body would now express his praise for God. See, that's the beauty of worship. Worship invites us to get out of our heads. It invites us to get out of our heads, step away from our stubborn self-sufficiency and our, our self-consciousness, and step into a posture of praise that is wide open to God. And, and so when we worship together and, and our hands are extended, it's not a trivial thing. It's, it's just a posture of saying, my life is wide open to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender my self-sufficiency. I'm going to surrender any preoccupation with myself. All I want is you. All I want is what you want from me. Now, again, I'm going to keep reminding you of something. David is writing these words in the uncertainty of the wilderness. Not in a place with all the certainty and security he enjoyed as king. Let me make another soul care observation. See, passages like this are just rich. Let me make another soul care observation, if I may. And this observation is about our desire for certainty. It's subtle, but so important to notice. I find in myself, and, and I find it in others I talk with, that our sense of well-being and faith can easily become rooted in certainty rather than in God. It's subtle. Certainty in our circumstances. If I was just clear, my faith, my, my sense of well-being will be okay. Or certainty about our politics. Or even certainty about our theology. And without recognizing it, this, this desire we have for certainty just kind of pushes, pushes God off to the side and very quietly becomes an idol. But it's misdirected. I want you to read a prayer. I noticed a prayer that I stumbled upon some time ago. I may have, I may have referred to this. I, I don't remember. Hopefully, well, maybe you'll forget too, but... Here's a great prayer. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are sufficient for me. I cannot properly ask for anything less to be worthy of you. If I were to ask less, I should always be in want. In you alone do I have all. Is that a powerful prayer? See, that's what we're seeing in David. Then he goes on, verse 6. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. During seasons of uncertainty, and I know you've all experienced this, nights are especially difficult. Our defenses are low. 
our dreams can be foreboding and dark. And probably there's not a person in this room that hasn't experienced sleepless and restless nights. And yet I marvel, David says, I'm not lying awake thinking about God, get me out of this. I'm lying awake thinking about you. And, and rather than tossing and turning and ruminating and worst case scenarioing and the what ifs and how do I get out of this and what do I do, David, David turned to meditation and prayer to lead him to a place of peacefulness. See, look what he writes in verse 7. This is, I think, kind of, kind of right on the heels of verse 6. Um, and it's taking place probably in his night because you are my helper. So while he's tossing and turning, his mind drifts to the fact that you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Any of you familiar with the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, know this phrase, the shadow of your wings, was one of David's favorite images for God's protection. He referred to it over and over and over again in the Psalms. Here's the one that you're probably most familiar with in Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. He will cover you with his feathers. There's the image beginning to unfold. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So don't be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. And then David just with a, with a renewed sense of, of vigor in, in verse 8, in, in this, this confidence, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. The word cling simply means we hold tightly to God. We, we hold, we just hold tightly to God. He is our strength. He is our security. And notice in the verse, as we hold tightly to God, he, hold tight, he holds tightly to us. And he, his strong right hand, holds us securely. And you see this, this beautiful image of the binding and the bonding of a relationship that takes place. Well, finally, David's soul is then able to express his confidence in God's provision. Up to this point, he hadn't spoken a word about what he was facing. Verse 9, his cloud of uncertainty is now filled with hope. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth, and they will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. Little did David know at this point that that would be the fate of his son. But the king will rejoice in God, and all who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. Well, kind of as we as we step out of the psalm and kind of draw our time to a to a close, I want to give you something to ponder this week. I'm going to call it a soul care reflection, and it's this: the heart of the spiritual life is learning to be at home with uncertainty. The heart of the spiritual life 
is learning to be at home with uncertainty. Now, my guess is that's unsettling to you. But, but the reality is all of our lives are filled with mystery and uncertainty. None of us are confident about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And in so much of, of how we walk with God is growing more peaceful with the uncertainties and the unknowings that are part of the human existence and the human, the, the human reality that we all, we all share in common. And here's my hope. My hope is that we can walk together with one another in ways that ground us in God's presence during our most challenging seasons of uncertainty. See, while we all face uncertainty, I know some of your stories, and I know some of you are, are facing profound and painful seasons of uncertainty. We, we need to be, uh, we are a community that holds one another in those places. And in community, we, we ground each other, we ground ourselves in God's presence during these just everyday occurring seasons of uncertainty. So with that in mind, I want us to read together verses 1 through 8 as an affirmation as a community. Now we're, we're essentially praying back to God on two levels. We're, we're praying back to God. Whatever your uncertainty is this morning, you are praying this back to God, declaring your confidence but we're also doing something else. As a community, we're declaring our confidence as a people and our commitment to become a community that grounds each other in something beyond our circumstances. So would you join me in praying? Oh God, you you stand with us?
this together. As the deer panteth the water, so my soul longs after Father, as we go into our week, may that be our prayer. May we seek for ways and times to recognize you as Lord of our lives, to give you our worship, to be who you'd have us to be, and to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
Give me a seat. So a few things. As we continue our worship today, um, there's a few places we want to make sure you all know you're invited to come participate. We have here in this place right afterwards, we'll have some snacks, we'll have some coffee and connection time for adults. But we will also have available the second hour uh, time with our youth for our littles, our one-year-old to kindergarten. We're going to have classes uh, offered in downstairs and upstairs uh, as well as kids, first grade to fifth grade, um, our small groups and, and time upstairs. They're going to be learning about missionaries and the work around the world of what Christ is doing through that. Uh, and then our youth group, our sixth to twelfth grade, is going to be in the youth building behind Grace Church. So please come. It's the first time. Make sure you connect with an actual uh, uh, volunteer or staff member in those places. And then we do ask that you pick up your kids in the little area, in the kindergarten area, as well as upstairs. Uh, at 12, so that gives our volunteers time to get back with their families as well. So um, I also get to end today with a benediction, so I'm going to ask you to stand back up. So a lot of stand up, sit down today. So something I always love to do in a benediction um, it comes from, you know, the Latin of good words, good sayings. So please look at me and receive the benediction today as I, I speak it over Grace Church. So Grace Church... I ask that you go this week and you will face uncertainty and fear and overwhelm. But may we be a body that says, God, you are my God. And even though that overwhelmed, being overwhelmed and uncertain may never go away, may we be more at home with you and know that you will be there helping us follow Christ extending grace to others, and building your kingdom here on earth. Now, Grace, go and share the love of Christ in this world. In your name, amen. You're dismissed.